you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans 14. We are going to continue on. Um, if I were to say to you that Christians can sometimes disagree, that might be the greatest understatement you've heard all week, um, even with all that's gone on. So, there's all kinds of things that come up in our life when we start to live out our faith, when we start to apply truth, when we think about um, how we should live and what we should do and and what the things that the Bible doesn't say. And so there's a lot of areas that we may call gray areas or, or areas that aren't black and white. It's funny, I was thinking earlier this week that when things are black and white and we don't like it, we want them to be gray. But when things are gray, we want them to be black and white. Um, we're, we're funny creatures in that way. But Christians can disagree over lots of different things. They can, they can disagree over whether or not um, you should drive cars or, or not. Um, whether or not you should have a tattoo or not. Or what you believe about alcohol. Or what you believe about marijuana. Or what you believe about modesty of dress. Or the death penalty. Or church style. Or, you know, and then you have these other truths that are in the Bible that we think, okay, well, what do I believe about Jesus dying for our sins? What do I believe about the Trinity? What do I believe about, you know, the creation and and evolution? And so there's all these things that we go, well, I mean, yeah, the Bible's kind of clear, but the implications are maybe gray, or the Bible's not clear, and so it's really gray implications. Well, Paul's going to deal with, in our chapter, in chapter 14, he's going to deal with these disputed matters, and specifically how the church should respond, a church that has been transformed by the gospel, how they should treat each other when these kinds of matters come up, when these disputed disagreements, matters of conscience, those kinds of things. So last week Paul reiterated (laughs) that Jesus... He reiterated what Jesus said about the two greatest commandments, to love God and to love people, specifically loving people in and outside the church. So the last two weeks we've heard talk about love. This week Paul's going to add wisdom to that, to how we love each other when we disagree with each other. So I'm going to be reading from the CSB, um, and and I'm just going to kind of walk through it and explain as we go, um, because I want to be clear about some things there's some there's some cultural things that are happening here that that we need to kind of understand in order to see the bigger picture. So Romans 14 verse 1. Accept anyone who is weak in faith, <clears throat> but don't argue about disputed matters. I think that I think that idea that disputed matters, I think that's a that's a heading for where Paul's going. So the rest of what Paul's going to talk about in 14 and even some in the first half of 15 is is these disputed matters. How do we handle these, these things that are disputed? So, so, and he's going to specifically talk to those who are weak in faith and those who are strong in faith. And he's going to kind of identify, and he's going to talk to the, to the two different groups. And the question is, who are these weak in faith people? Who are these strong in faith people? And, and that will, will become clear as we go through it. But there's two examples of disputed matters that he's going to talk about. Okay, the first one is dietary restrictions. The second one is days to be kept holy, like holy days. Now, 
Christians disagree over a lot of things, argue over a lot of things, but I guarantee none of us in here are, are arguing over dietary restrictions and holy days. Like, that's not a thing for us. It was a big thing for them, um, specifically Jewish people. And so we'll get, into, we'll get into what those are. Those are the two examples he's going to list and talk about. This, the, the two metaphors that he's going to use to kind of drive home his point, the first one is a metaphor of a, a servant and, and, and their master. Okay, The relationship between a servant and a master. And then the other metaphor he's going to use to, to drive home the point is a relationship between brothers and sisters and family, like brotherly, sisterly love, family relationship. So that's, those are the two metaphors he's going to use with the two examples. Here we go. Verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who, who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat must not judge one who does, because God has accepted him. So here's the example of dietary restrictions. So he says that this, this disputed matter, this matter of conscience is... And what he's talking about is not just eating food. He's talking about eating meat, certain kinds of meat, uh, meat in general, or not eating meat. So some think it's wrong to eat meat, and others think it's okay. And he says the one who thinks it's okay to eat meat, those are the, 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 the people he's talking to that are strong in faith, he says, must not look down on, on those who, who, who don't think it's okay to eat. And then he says those who think it's wrong to eat meat, and those he would call weak in faith, must not judge the one who does eat. So who's who? So I believe the weak in faith, and this is what's interesting about what Paul's describing is, the weak in faith are the Jewish Christians who do not eat certain foods based on their dietary restrictions because of their loyalty to their law. So you've heard us talk about the law a lot, quite a, quite a bit throughout this Roman study. The law would have been the law that was given to Moses. There were 613 laws that were given to Moses, and it, and it was laws on how to live and how to, how to relate to God and things to avoid. Some of it was for their own health and safety, and, and others of it was for them to be set apart and different. So, so when God calls the Israelite people and He gives them a law, gives them these commandments... He's wanting them to be different than the rest of the world. So he's giving them things to kind of keep them separate, keep them holy. That's what that word means. Holy means to be set apart. So, so because of their loyalty to the law, and, and the law explicitly said certain things about dietary restrictions, that, that, that certain kinds of food that they couldn't eat, um, specifically certain meats, had to be prepared in a special way. So how many of you are familiar with the story of Daniel? Daniel 1. So in Daniel 1, Daniel, who is a Jewish man, finds himself in this in captivity in this foreign nation. And he's kind of a really smart guy. And so they have him in this training school to become a really smart guy in their, in their world. And they're having him eat all kinds of things that he's not allowed to eat as a Jewish person. And so he talks to them and he approaches them and he says, listen, I, I, I'm not really allowed to eat that. It's kind of not according to my custom and my law. And I, you know, I'd be violating what what I believe to be true, and so and he says, tell you what, I'll just eat vegetables, and, and your people just eat, you eat everything, and then at the end of a certain period, we'll see, we'll test each other's intelligence and everything else, and we'll see how we do, and it turns out 
you know, uh, Daniel and his friends um, scored higher than everyone else. And so that, that story is, is a, an illustration of the kind of dietary restrictions. Anybody been here? Any, anybody in here been to Israel? Okay, you have. Yeah. Oh, with your church. That's right. That makes sense. So I know. So three of us. Anybody else? Somebody say not physically. <laughs> thank, thank you for clarifying that. that that's that's that helps. Um, <laughs> so, but like mentally, spiritually, you've been there. In spirit, I no, I get it. Um, so. In Israel, I got, to go, I got to go in 2016, and in Israel, uh, every hotel we stayed in, they provided breakfast, and then they, pro- they provided dinner, too. They kind of, you know, they're geared towards tourists, right? So they figured during the day, you're going to be out exploring, and then you're going to need to eat when you come back, so we'll, pro- we'll provide a meal. What was interesting is, because of their, they still hold to these dietary restrictions. Uh, some, some do out of religion, some do basically out of tradition. But what was funny was none of the silverware or the plates or the cups from breakfast could be used at all during dinner. They had to be kept separate, completely separate. No forks, no knives, because we served milk in the, in the morning at breakfast and meat at dinner. There was no meat served at breakfast. Um, and, and that's one of the laws is milk and meat cannot be, you cannot cook something in its own milk. That was the law. So because of that, they just said, fine, we will separate. We won't even let our forks touch each other, you know. Uh, uh, McDonald's, McDonald's served ice, served ice cream. Served ice cream. They also served hamburgers. They would have a they had a plastic wall, glass wall right in the middle of it. So you go up to order. If you want to order ice cream, you got to go on this side and order ice cream. There's somebody over here taking ice cream. If you want to order hamburger, you got to go on this side. Somebody separated by a partition, just so that they're, they're, those two things won't touch because it made it what kosher. You probably heard that term. For, for meat to be kosher, it can't be touch milk, it can't be around, those kinds of things. So they still practice this, practice this stuff today. They do all kinds of interesting things. So he's talking to, the, he's talking to um, Gentile Christians about Jewish Christians who can't eat certain meats. Because they, just, because they don't know how it's cooked, they avoid eating the meat altogether. And he's saying to the Gentile Christians, accept them and their restrictions or convictions, and don't look down on them from, from abstaining. And then he says to the Jewish Christians, essentially, he says, listen, accept them and don't judge them because they eat the meat that you won't eat. Verse 4. Who are you to judge another household servant? Before his own Lord he stands and falls. And he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. So here's the metaphor. The first metaphor he's going to use is this idea of a servant in his household. And what he, basically what he's saying is you would never judge a servant um, based on what they eat because you would, it's not your place. You know, the servant will eat whatever the master says they can eat. And so it's not your place to tell them what they can and can't do. And that's, that's kind of his point is that in the same way, likewise, you belong to the Lord. As a Christian, so do they. They belong to the Lord, you belong to the Lord, and, and you don't have any right to tell them what they can and can't do. They're, they belong to the Lord. And then he goes back to an example, the next example in verse 5. One person judges one day to be more important than another day. Um, someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. 
Whoever observes the day, observes it for the honor of the Lord. So, so the example is regarding certain special days like the Sabbath or like festivals that, that were of the Jewish custom. So the Jews believe that the Sabbath should be kept holy and, and in certain ways, and, and they would do it. And others, others were saying, no, every day is the Lord's day. Um, and every day should be seen as the Lord's day. And, and like the food, each should hold to what they are convinced of. So Paul's saying, listen, if that's what you're convicted of, that's what you're convinced of, hold to that conviction. It's, it's fine. He's going to give his opinion in a little bit of what he thinks about these things. But his bigger concern is how they're treating each other. So he's saying the weak in faith, those Christians who were those Jewish Christians, they, they, they kind of think everybody should keep these days holy, the, whole, the days that they think are holy. And then you have to remember, for Jews, dietary restrictions and um, these, these, fe- these, these special days, holy days, and then circumcision, okay, th- those are the ways that they, they could tell themselves apart from the rest of culture. That was their identity. Those were, those were boundary markers for them. That's how they knew that they were different than the rest of the world. And so Paul's now, you know, they, they come back to this church. We've talked about this. The Jews kind of re-enter the church, and now they're eating meat, and they're doing all these things, or they're not, you know, obeying certain festival days, and the Jews are getting upset about this. And so he's trying to help them, like, listen, you need to put these things aside. So he says, whoever eats eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat. And he gives thanks to God. So he goes back to this eating example. He says, if you think it's okay to eat, then then do it by giving thanks to God for the food and the freedom that you have in Christ to eat it. And if you don't think it's okay to eat this kind of meat, then don't eat the meat and give thanks to God for what He provides for you. Verse 7. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. So, he comes back to this servant-master metaphor. He says, just like a servant belongs to the master, you belong to the Lord. If you live, it's for the Lord. If, if you die, it's ultimately up to the Lord. Either way, your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. That's 1 Corinthians 6. You were bought with a price, so honor God with your body. That's essentially what Paul's saying. And then he says, in fact, this is the reason that Jesus was crucified and resurrected was that He might be Lord over your life. So he's making a pretty strong point to those people who were either judging or, or, or um, ridiculing or looking down upon the other. And then Paul gives this, well, he doesn't in this section. In, in Galatians 2.20, Paul gives a, a beautiful summary of what his life in Christ is like. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me, and the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. So, um, back to Romans 14, verse 10. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise 
your brother or sister. So he's kind of talking to both groups. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will, 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 praise, will give praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. So who's doing the judging? It's the one who is weak in faith. It's the Jewish Christian who is judging the other. And he's saying, when you see, when you see others doing things that you think is wrong, but it's a, it's a disputed matter, it's a matter of conscience, you're judging them. Stop it. And he says, those of you who are strong in faith, when you look down on or get frustrated by others, when, they, when you can't do what you want to do because of their, their issue, he said, you're despising them. Stop it. So, and then he gives this new metaphor, one of family. And he says, listen, you, you, you're brothers and sisters. You're in the same family. And not only that, he, he says, not only are you you're treating your brother and sister this way, but also you're both going to stand before the Lord together someday. You're both going to meet God and have to give an account to Him, and He's going to, and you're going to both need grace and mercy. And, and because of Jesus, you're good. So quit fighting against each other. Start loving each other. It's kind of where he's going. Verse 13. Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide to put a uh, instead, sorry. Yeah, instead ne- decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. So he says, in light of this future judgment day, this, this time where you'll stand before God and you both will experience um, that before the Lord, he says, don't, don't let anything, don't let food, don't let these special days, don't let anything come in between you as a brother and a sister causing division and strife. Verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. There's, there's what Paul thinks right there. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. For if, if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, or, what you, um, or by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ died. So Paul gives his theological conclusion uh, about all foods. He says, it's fine. It's clean. He says, but if someone is convinced that it's unclean, then he shouldn't eat it. And to those who think it is clean, you should not let something meaningless like food be something that hurts. Literally the word is, the idea is that causes pain or destroys, and I think he means spiritually, your brother or sister. It's unloving. It's the worst thing Paul says it's the worst thing you can do. Verse 16. Therefore, do not let uh, your, good sl- your, your good be slandered. Do not let your good be slandered. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. So when he says that this idea of don't let your good be slandered, that kind of tripped me up. I didn't quite understand what he's getting at, but here's what I think he means. 
the good he, he's referring to is the freedom they have in Christ to eat whatever they want to eat, to eat all foods. But he's saying don't use that freedom to be thought of as evil because it's leading someone away from Christ. So this was actually causing major division. And Jewish Christians were, were so turned off by this that they were wanting to leave, I would assume. That's kind of what he's saying, destroying them. Um, and anytime the, 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 the background of that word is anytime that word's used, it's used in conjunction with someone walking away from Christ or someone, um, yeah, like leaving Christ, turning from Christ. And so that's, that's what most believe he's describing. He says, The kingdom of God is not about what you eat or what you drink or what day you think is special, but it's about righteousness that we, that we receive from God because of Jesus. It's about the peace that, that happens because of Jesus as we're reconciled to God. It's about the joy in Christ we have. And he says there's two reasons why, why you, you should, you should like, try to love each other. First of all, God accepts this kind of love toward each other, and He rejects actions that cause division and strife. Also, he says, the second part is, um, other humans will like you better. If you're not going around judging or despising. It's kind of like Paul's going, yeah, not only God likes it when you treat each other and love each other, but, you know, you'll have friends too. and That's a good thing. Verse 19. So let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean. Again, Paul gives his opinion. Everything is clean. But it is wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. It is a good thing to, not, to eat meat or drink wine or do, any, or do anything that makes your brother stumble. It is a good thing not to eat. I forgot that word. That's a very important word. <laughs> it is a good thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother stumble. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And everything that is not from faith is sin. So in conclusion, here's, here's the summary. Paul says, um, Pursue treating each other in ways that, promotes, that promote peace and building each other up. That's the point. Reject things that cause division and strife. Promote things that build peace and building each other up. And he also says everything's, everything's clean. But what isn't fine, what isn't good, is, when, is when, you, when you're doing something that's causing someone else to stumble. It's when you're eating something knowing that this brother is really torn up about it. And you're kind of abusing your freedom. He says it's better to keep what you believe about these things, these disputed matters. It's better to keep those things between you and God than it is to ignore the people around you. It's better to keep it between you and God than it is to just exercise your freedom because you can. He says, but I think, um, you know, but if you think something is wrong and you do it anyway, then you're condemned. So there's something here that Paul's saying. He He keeps kind of coming back to this idea that um, even for the Jewish Christians, those who are weak in faith, if you, if, if you are convinced that it's wrong to do, then by all means, don't do it, Paul says. 
He says, anything that doesn't come from faith. This is the very last line. It's an it's a interesting phrase. It's a very strong phrase. Anything that doesn't come from faith is sin. So, um, I, that verse actually had an impact on my life in college. So, I had just gotten married, and I was a junior in college, and I decided to get a job, because, you know, I have a wife now to take care of. Um, I was living off of savings, truly, true, true story. I, was, I saved a bunch of money, made a bunch of money my first freshman year of college when I lived at home, and so for the next year and a half, I just lived off savings until I got married, and I thought, I should probably not live off savings anymore. Um, so I was looking for a job. The job I really wanted was to work at Sears Automotive, okay? Uh, because I had worked there before. You can make, I could make really, I made 20 to 25 bucks an hour part-time. It was great work. They were closed by 7 or 8 in the, in the day, in the evening. It was awesome. So I applied several times. I wouldn't, you know, they, they, we're not hiring, we're not hiring. I'm like, okay, so I got to find another job. So Ruby Tuesdays was opening up in Joplin, and I applied to Ruby Tuesdays. And I got accepted to be, to be a waiter. So I, and I actually got in before they opened. And so I got to be kind of a part of their training program. And I was there for about a week. And we were walking through stuff. And then it got to the point where they were kind of explaining, listen, um, the real money maker is alcohol. So you're going to get better tips this way. We're going to make more money this way. And so you need to kind of push alcohol. You need to kind of encourage uh, alcohol. You know, and at the time, I didn't drink alcohol. I didn't, I didn't grow up in a home that had alcohol. All, the only alcohol I was around was when my high school friends wanted to get drunk. So that's the only... And I never, I never liked the taste of alcohol. I, didn't, I wasn't really walking with the Lord in high school. Um, but all my friends would try to get me to try different beers, and they, they just all tasted terrible to me. They're like, Scott, you just keep drinking until you can't taste it. I'm like, that makes no sense to me. They, some of them had... And I knew their stories, but some of them had, I guess, reasons to drink and, you know, whatever, escape from reality. I didn't have reasons to drink, so I never understood why you just keep drinking until you can't taste it. But, but anyway, so I, didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't a big fan of alcohol, but I, would, I didn't have a problem with people drinking alcohol. But, but for whatever reason, I'm like, this is going to be a good job. I'm going to get in early. There's going to be great tips, all this stuff. It's going to be booming when it first opens. But I just, there's something about serving alcohol, pushing alcohol, I just don't know if I can do. So um, I went and talked to a professor about it, and uh, he, he was kind of encouraging me, like, well, if, you're, if you feel this strongly about it, you know, there's actually a verse that talks about this. I'm like, what? So he turned me, he, he opened it up, I'm like, what? And he reads Romans 14, and I'm like, holy cow, I feel convicted about this. I don't think I should do this. I don't think there's anything wrong with somebody doing it, but I don't think I'm supposed to do it. So I went in and talked to my manager and explained the whole thing, and he actually understood, and he was very, very kind about it. And, uh, but I quit. And what was interesting was the day before I quit, so I had a roommate that was not very good at letting me know when somebody <laughs> called, but the day before I quit, Sears had called and left a message with my roommate, hey, tell Scott to come in and see us. Uh, we'd like to talk to him about hiring. So I didn't know anything about this. So I quit the next day, and I'm like bummed, and I'm engaged, and I need a job, and all these things. And um, actually, yeah, it, I got the job before I was married. It was when I was engaged. And, and um, because I, was, I had a roommate. That makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. 
Caleb. Yeah. So Caleb, so Caleb didn't tell me. He didn't tell me about Sears calling. So I waited a couple days, and I called Sears, and I'm like, hey, just call in a sec if, you know, there's any spots open. He's like, yeah, we called three, four days ago. Your roommate didn't tell you? Like, no. I was both angry and excited at the same time. And, and so anyway, I got that job, but, it, but whatever. That's, that's how it worked out. But, it, but it, was, it was interesting that this verse was a verse that kind of helped me go, okay, I need to, I need to follow these convictions. So, but, but, you know, how do we deal with these, these black and white, well, these gray issues, these, these disputed matters, these matters of conscience, and how do we think about them? Um, Drew's going to get up here in a little bit and give us a really, really practical way to kind of work through these things and help us understand. I think I learned this about this, what he's going to show you about seven or eight years ago. Really helpful to understand and how to work through these things. So we'll take a break, and then actually we're going to introduce you to an alumni, and then Drew will get up. So take about three minutes. All right. So when I get started, I want to walk you through, like like uh, Scott said, I want to walk you through some some kind of uh, a tool that can kind of help you think through some of these areas of, of black and white and gray and, and how that all works. Last week, uh, I was in the student union. I struck up this conversation with this student in there, a uh, student by the name of Emily. And uh, Emily was uh, this uh, really, really nice girl that uh, I just ended up talking with about about her beliefs, what she believed about reality and specifically about God. And, and so I got to ask her those questions. Do you believe in God? What are you thinking? And she, she uh, I, if I remember right, she's a biology major, and, and, and she said, uh, you know, she definitely believes in God uh, because um, she cannot look around at the world around her and not, not believe that someone started all this stuff. She just doesn't believe that that God is really involved in our lives today. And, and, and so I just continued to ask her questions about kind of her thoughts on those things. And, and it got to where I got to begin to ask her a little bit about Jesus. What do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe what he says about himself, that he's the son of God? Do you, do you believe that he died on a cross for your sins? Do you believe that he resurrected from the dead? And I was just kind of asking her each of these questions. And then when we got to the one about resurrection, she gave me an answer that was really, really interesting. Um, she said to me, uh, I said, so do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave? And she said, scientifically, no, but religiously, I think so. Scientifically, no, but religiously, I think so, which I thought was kind of odd. And, and I don't know, she may have been trying to be kind of kind. She seemed really nice and may have just been trying to be kind to me with some of my beliefs. But I remember thinking that that was really weird. I, I actually said to her, what wouldn't you say that if scientifically he did not raise from the grave, then religiously that's a lie, right? Would, that, would those two things not um, fit that way in which, in which one has to be true for the other to be true, but, but she didn't see it that way. And of course, that really shocked me until I heard Jaron talk about not going to Israel physically, but, uh, <laughs> but going there. And so maybe, maybe I'm the crazy one is what I'm thinking. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> But, but she, she, I asked her, so what do you mean by that? She said, well, as, again, as kind of a biology major, I cannot believe that a man actually like physically died and then physically rose back again from the grave. But, but maybe, maybe in a religious sense, it could be true. 
Um, and, and, and though that seemed strange to me, and though I, I, I do not see the logic in that, she's saying something that a whole lot of people actually believe. Essentially saying this, that something could be true for a person even if it wasn't objectively true. That is, it might not have really happened, but if it's true for you, Drew, then maybe it is, in a religious sense, in a spiritual sense, true. It might not be an actual fact, might not be true for all time or in history or scientifically, but if it's true for you, then that's, then that's great. Maybe it is true for you. And, and like I said, this is a pretty common understanding today. What matters, a lot of people would say, is that a person finds their own truth. Hey, and that may not be true for you, but it's true for me. So don't judge me for what I believe. Or, or hey, that's, that's not my thing. I don't, I don't buy that. I don't get that. But, hey, if that's true for you, that's great for you. That's, that's something that a whole lot of people hold to today. Actually, I say hold to. A whole lot of people think that they hold to that. There's a whole lot of people who like to talk like that, but they don't actually, when, like, the rubber meets the road, believe those things. Um, like... Most of those people would never say, hey, I'm just really glad that the Nazis found a truth that worked for them, right? Like, they wouldn't say, that's, you know, that's not my thing. Like, uh, hatred and racism and genocide isn't my thing, but if that's, if that's their truth, then, then that's great for them. That's not how they talk about those things. When, it, when, when reality kind of hits those things, um, that way of thinking doesn't make sense. Or even if I were to say to you, um, I believe that the tooth fairy exists and because she exists, she has commissioned me to sneak into people's homes at night and try to steal their teeth. <laughs> you wouldn't say to me, you know what, that's, that's awesome. I'm so glad for you that that works. No, you would say, get away from me, you creepy man, right? <laughs> uh, and, and if I said, no, 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 I'm not saying historically that that's true, but religiously I believe that to be true. You still wouldn't go, oh, okay, well, as long as it's just kind of a religious spiritual belief. No, the, 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 the bottom line is if it does not happen historically, it has no significance religiously. If it did not happen in actuality, then it has no significance for you spiritually. And that matters for us to be able to catch those things, to be able to know this, uh, to know those things. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. He's talking about the resurrection. And there are some of those in the, the Corinthian church who are starting to question whether the physical bodily resurrection of a person was, was an actual thing, whether that could actually happen. Um, in, in the Greek culture, side note, in the Greek culture, the, the physical body was not actually even considered all that great of a thing. The real you was the spiritual you, they believed. And so a lot of people wondered, why would you even want to be resurrected? And, and so there was some doubt that was cast on that. And Paul steps in to say, hey, listen, you can't, you can't, play like that when it comes to your Christianity. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation, that is our gospel, what we preach, is in vain, and so is your faith. So if Jesus didn't actually raise from the grave, then your faith is a waste of time. It's not worth believing. It doesn't matter if there's some spiritual significance you think you see in that. It doesn't matter if there's something that kind of feels good for you when you think about rising from the grave, maybe kind of like new life in the phoenix rising out of the ashes. No, no, no. If he did not actually raise from the grave, then it does not matter. This whole thing is a sham. But if he did, if the resurrection is real, then Jesus is who he said he was. 
that he truly is the Son of God. And when he says that no one comes to God except through me, then we got to believe him. And so it matters to think through those things. By the way, side note, I believe that there is very, very strong evidence, even if a person doesn't believe in the Bible, there is very, very strong evidence that Jesus did raise from the grave, that the evidence points most conclusively to this fact, that Jesus of Nazareth physically rose from the grave. We did a podcast on this. We've told you a little bit about our, our little side resource we've created called Apologetics in 15, where we tackle issues. And, and we did a whole episode on, on proofs for why we believe Jesus rose from the grave. I'll actually, I'll, uh, I'll send that out in the group me after this is done tonight, if that's something that you're interested in checking out. Um, but, but here's the thing. For, Christians, for the Christian faith to work, this is a critical aspect of it, is we believe in objective truth. What I mean by objective truth is truth that is something that is true for all people in all times in all places. It's not something that's true for me, but not for Ryan. True for me, but not for Anna Grace. Or true for Abby, but not true for Jaden. Or maybe true for us, but not true for them back in time. No, it's something that is objectively true. Okay, the sun exists. All right, that is an objective reality that no one can argue against. It is true for all people in all times and all places. The sun exists, and, and Christian faith um, leans on objective truth, not things that can be kind of debated back and forth, but things that are actually real. But we do not believe that all objective truth is equally important. And this is, this is big to be able to catch. Not only that, we do not believe that all truth is objective. In fact, Paul says here in Romans 14 that there are some things that can be wrong for one person and not for another. So it's true for you, Paul says, actually. It's true that eating um, these food that the, that the Jewish people had kind of marked off their list like pork, it's true, Paul says, that eating pork is totally okay. It is not sinful. But he says, if you are a person who believes it's sinful and then you go ahead and do it, it is actually sinful for you. So what's true for that person in this moment is not true for you. There are some things that are actually relative, some truths that are relative. Now, think about, though, his take on that compared to, like, the resurrection. The resurrection, he's not budging on. He doesn't say, well, it can, the resurrection can be true for you or true for me, but not for you. No, no, no. That one, he says, that is objectively true. Or sexual sin, sexual immorality. Paul doesn't budge on sexual immorality. A man in the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 6, is sleeping with someone who he should not be sleeping with and he's not repenting over it. And Paul says, you kick that person out of the church. Okay, you discipline that person. So Paul doesn't budge on that. Here's the question though. How do you know which things fit in which category? How do you know which things are objectively true that we don't budge on and which things are relative and which things are objectively true and are super important for us and which things are objectively true and not so much? Um, this question is significant for reasons that I'll get into at the end. But first, I want to give you this framework for thinking about this. Um, we would say that all truth fits into um, one of four categories, and, and these, these categories can be split into two sides, all right? So we've got this column over here that we're going to call true relativity, all right? And then we've got the column over on the right that we're going to call true objectivity. I didn't make this chart up, by the way, stole it from somebody else, but I want to share this with you a little bit tonight and help you kind of understand. So under this side on true relativity, you have two different 
two different categories. The first is what we call situational relativity. That is a truth or an idea that is relative depending on the situation. Um, what we just talked about in Romans 14, uh, clean and unclean foods, is situationally relative. It is okay for you to eat any food you want, Paul says to the Romans, but if what you're eating causes somebody to stumble, it's not okay anymore. It depends on the situation. Or if someone believes that it's a sin to eat shrimp and they eat it anyway, they're going against their conscience, it becomes a sin. So it's relative depending on the situation. Um, right below, below that, you have even less important than that, you have what we call autonomous relativity. And these are things that are strictly a matter of opinion. Okay? They're not... Um, they're not a moral right or wrong. So this one, uh, whether Chick-fil-A is better or Cane's is better, all right? That's a matter completely of opinion, even though, I mean, we know objectively that Cane's is better, right, Ryan? Let's go. But, uh, uh, but, but this is actually like, this is not a, your favorite, uh, your, the, the best book in the Bible. What book in the Bible is best? That's, there's, that's not a moral issue. That's not an objectively true thing that you can defend. Or that is simply a matter of your own opinion. Your favorite music. All of those things are, would fit in this, this realm of autonomous relativity. And then if you go over to this right side, you come to true objectivity. Both things in these categories are objectively true facts. All right? Um, but some are more important than others. So this first one up, talk, uh, up top is essential objectivity, and that is these are universal truths that must be believed in order to be a Christian. Like If you don't believe these biblically, you are not a follower of Jesus, if you do not fall in line with the truths that are up here. Um, so one of those things uh, would be uh, the resurrection, like we talked about. Paul says if, if the resurrection didn't happen, if you're not in the resurrection, then your faith is futile. It's, it's worthless. And so we would say that a person, in order to be a Christian, has to believe that Jesus rose from the grave. Uh, below that, we fall into non-essential objectivity. These are still things that are objectively true. There is an objective right or wrong answer but they're not necessarily essential for your Christian faith. Here's one. Uh, the age of the earth. There are some Christians that believe that the earth is millions or billions of years old. There are others who would say, no, it's only a few thousand years old based on our reading of the scriptures. And, and here's the thing. There is an objective right answer to this. And, and we may not know exactly what it is. This is debated. But there is an objective right answer for, for how many years old the earth is. But the issue is that that's not essential to be a Christian. What you believe about that one way or the other doesn't make you saved or not saved, in or not in, those kinds of things. Um, so it's important for us to be able to grasp. Now, here's what we're going to do. Um, hopefully everybody feels like they has, ha have a grasp on these, at least just a little bit. What I'm going to do, I'm going to write up on this board five or six things, and then we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. I'm going to let you, for just a few minutes, um, kind of in groups of three or four, I want you to put the things that I'm writing on the board, I want you to put them in what category you think they belong in. Okay? So, let me do this real quick. Um, I'll write these things up here. Okay. Scott mentioned this one, so I'm just going to, I'm going to put this up here. Okay, drinking, so alcohol, okay? <laughs> 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 
Here's another one. Okay, that Jesus died for our sins. This is a belief in the Bible. Where would you place that one? Okay. Whoop. Oh, no. Okay, give me just a second. Shh. When we say the Trinity, let me just clarify. This is the belief in the nature of God, that He is, um, that he is three distinct persons in one substance, one essence. God is three in one. This is, this is what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. So in which of these things would that fit? Here's another one. Church style. So the style of a worship service or the, the mode in which a church operates... Watching R-rated movies. Running out of room. All right, sex outside of marriage. Okay, so take, take uh, three, four minutes, five minutes, and discuss with people around you which category would you place each of these things in. Go. Yes. Okay, I want to hear from you. I want to try to. I want to try to do this somewhat quickly. All right. I know we could sit here and discuss this stuff for a while, but I, I want to kind of get to it. So, um, where would you? I'm actually going to start with this one. Where would you put Jesus died for your sins? Okay. So we're putting this in essential. Now, let me clarify. By essential, this was asked, Connor, I says, I mean like essential for salvation. Like if you're not believing this, then you are not saved. If you're not involved in this action or truth, then, then it's not, your salvation is kind of online there. So, um, so let's go back to the top. What about drinking? Where does that go? Okay. So drinking to me probably fits in the Romans 14 category about as well as anything. Because what you have with alcohol is, like many of the Jewish people, had a struggle with uh, dietary restrictions because that was a big part of their faith. Truthfully, in America, for a long time, a big part of the Christian faith for many people was um, complete kind of uh, complete rejection of alcohol and having nothing to do with that. And so this has become, or was at least for a while, a pretty complicated issue. I think it's still in some ways complicated. Um, but I think that this is true. Um, it depends on the situation that you're in. So are we talking about someone sitting in their house having a glass of wine? The Bible does not speak against that. The Bible actually, there's a point where Paul tells Timothy, have a glass of wine with your food for your stomach's sake. Like, and so that's not a problem. But we know the situation or, or the, that truth changes based on the situation. Are you underage? If so, then you're breaking the law, which goes against Romans 13, which we just talked about the week before. Um, are you drinking with someone else who's underage? Okay, then you're causing someone else to stumble. Are you drinking with someone who has struggled with alcoholism or partying or those kinds of things? Are you getting drunk? All of those things would move this from okay into the category of sin. 
And so we need to be very careful. Now, there's, there's other questions to ask about drinking, like, is this even wise for me? And, and I think that that's a big one that college students sometimes overlook. Um, but, but as far as this, it goes in this situational relativity thing. What about the doctrine of the Trinity? Okay. How many say, okay, so I heard, actually, I heard two. How many say essential objectivity? Okay, how many say uh, non-essential objectivity? Okay, any for any other categories? Please don't say autonomous. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Um, might, uh, might surprise you, but I would say non-essential objectivity. And not because I believe that uh, the Trinity is not important. I believe the, tri- the, the, the doctrine of the Trinity is huge for the Christian faith. But if what we're saying is that a person has to uh, understand the Trinity perfectly to be saved, then maybe none of us are saved, okay? Um, this is something that I think, I think they're, the regular person in the church, I think a lot of us don't fully grasp exactly how this works. And so um, I would, I, again, if when someone gets rid of this doctrine or starts to push this, then this, this causes problems for some of the other essential um, issues. And so I'm, I'm always very leery of someone who's, who's not trying to be careful with it and doesn't have a biblical understanding of this, but I would not put it in essential. Church style, how a worship service is done, whether it's loud and smoke machines and flashy or whether it's calm or, or, or organs or whatever those things, where would you put that? Okay, yeah, I think primarily autonomous relativity. There might be some things that could actually move this into situational. I think I could be talked into believing that some things in church style had to do with situational, um, that there's some things that are better for or enable the people to worship better. But, but by and large, I think this is where I would put this. Um, what about R-rated movies? Okay, situational depends on like what... What's causing that rating? What kind of stuff is in there? And there are things that we as believers should not be putting in our minds when it comes to sexuality and that kind of stuff. Um, but but it, what is causing that rating? What your own struggles are within sin? What things have caused you um, to, to fall into sin are all things to consider when we're looking at things like movies. Sex outside of marriage. That is, any sex outside of uh, a man and a woman within the marriage covenant, where would we put that? Okay, what was that again? Uh, how, many say, how many say essential objectivity? Okay, how many say non-essential objectivity? How many of you are a little unsure about this one? Okay, this one is going to be interesting, and I'll, I'll explain this to you in a second, but first I'm going to say this. I put it here for now. Okay, I put it in non-essential. Okay, um, and I'll explain that. I'll explain that in just just a second. Um, let me first just uh, make a couple, like five or six random thoughts. I'm I'm trying to hurry here. Five or six random thoughts about this little chart here. The first is this: um, when it comes to how we determine what goes in what, what is our main criteria? First and foremost, the scriptures. Okay? The Bible is our main way for guess, putting things in what, and, and what I mean by that is what we're looking for is clarity. If the Bible speaks with a specific clarity on a topic or puts a lot of focus on a topic, that's going to move it more into this objectivity thing, and it might move it further up here. But there are some things, like for instance, um, the end times, when Jesus will return. 
there is not a lot of clear, actually there is some clarity. Jesus says, even I don't, even the son does not know yet when the return will come. That's for the father. And so, uh, so no one knows this. So it's, there is an objective true date for when Jesus will return, but it's not essential. This isn't something the Bible spends a lot of time talking about and focusing on and emphasizing. Um, like you got to know that. That's, that's not it. But there's some things like the resurrection of Jesus or the deity of Jesus, that he is the Son of God. That gets put up there a lot. And so when those things get emphasized, those are big to know. Um, and so that's, that's important to know those things and, and to be able to, uh, to, to see where the Bible is speaking. Also, the, the Bible is our primary criteria, but, but seeking the wisdom of the church is really helpful for these kinds of things. Uh, second, most things in the essential objectivity category have to do with the nature and work of Jesus. Most of the things that the Christian life is based on, and if you don't believe this, you're not a Christian, have to do with who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. Um, he is both God and man. He died, um, he died for our sins, to take away our sins so that we can be reconciled to God. He rose again from the grave. He raised those things about who God is, or who Jesus is in his nature with the Father. Those things are in the essential category. Um, another thought just for you to be aware of, and I won't spend a whole lot of time on this. 20 or 30 years ago, the church, I think, was probably guilty of putting too many things in the essential objectivity category. We had too many things like, man, if you watch a rated R movie, I don't know if you're saved anymore. And, 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 and I, I'm kind of joking, but only kind of joking. Like, that was like a deal. If you, dude, if there's a beer in your fridge, then you better, like, you better repent right now. Like, you better get into a baptistry again, otherwise you're going straight to hell. Like, that kind of stuff was the way it thought. Um, now, um, I would say that, if anything, the church is more prone to putting too many things in the situational category that there's probably more things in the objective and maybe even the essential than a lot of us would like to say. Um, I'll also say this. Everything that fits in the situational relativity category is a behavior or an action. Okay? Um, uh, everything that, that belongs in that has to do with like these food sacrificed to idols Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians or clean and unclean food or uh, drinking or... Uh, this is one that gets talked about in, in the Bible. Women wearing head coverings in church. Okay? There was a situation where that was the right thing to do, but that's not our situation, we believe. Um, but these are all behavior-based. Anything that is like a truth that is stated, Jesus came to the earth, uh, Jesus had 12 disciples, um, God is the creator of heaven and earth, all of those statements about a historical fact, all of those fit in the objective category. It's not situational. Well, for you, God created the heaven and the earth. But for me, he didn't actually create everything. Okay? That's, that's a, that it's not situational. If it's, if it's a statement of doctrine or belief, it always fits on the objective side. Um, question to think about. So are there any behaviors or actions that would fit in essential objectivity? I would say just a very small handful, and they are all things that have to do, again, with Jesus. And that is that you repent. That is an action that the Bible says must happen in order for you to be a Christian, to be saved. You must place your faith in Jesus. Romans 10 says you confess Him as Lord. Those are actions that we do, okay? And they're not, it's not that we're working to save ourselves, but those are things that attach ourselves to Jesus who saves us. 
And that's why those things are big. And lastly, here's, here's what I want to hit on with this sex outside of marriage thing. Any sort of like sin in your life, when we're talking about behavior like this, um, when you sleep with someone that's not at your spouse, okay, whether that is your girlfriend, whether that's your boyfriend, whether that is some random hookup or one night stand, whether that's someone of the same sex as you, whatever that is, that is non-essential objectivity because that, that sin in and of itself doesn't mean you're going to hell. Um, all of us sin in a number of ways. All of us have uh, sins in our life and it is only by the grace of God that Jesus loved us and died for us that we are saved. Um, and so th- there's no sin, I don't think, that, that falls up in the essential objectivity. But here's the issue. When a person chooses to continue living in a specific sin without any bit of repentance, without caring about those things, and is fine with that, then that is a sign, James 2 tells us this, um, that faith without works is dead. So if there are no works in your life, if you are continually living in unrepentant sin, it's a sign that you might not actually have faith in these essential things. That, there's, that your heart might not actually be attached to Jesus Christ in faith. And so you start to, I would say, something like, um, something like uh, or any sort of sinful behavior that you could just uh, live in without caring starts to drift you. If someone doesn't care, then that, that can kind of be a sign. It doesn't, it doesn't move you into this, but it can be a sign that maybe you're not actually holding to the essential doctrines. Um, let me tell you why this matters and then we'll wrap up. Two reasons why knowing this stuff matters. First is, it helps us discern what's worth fighting for. Church splits are often very dumb. Oftentimes, churches split over really stupid things like categories of autonomous relativity. How, what kind of music we should be doing in church. Um, and, and, and silly things like this. What the building should be like. All right? Um, sometimes they're splitting over things in situational relativity. Um, but that stuff is foolish, and we don't want to fight over things like this. But things that fit in essential objectivity are worth splitting over. Those things are worth fighting over. Um, when, when, if the minister starts to say, we don't know if we can really... Um, I don't really believe that Jesus could physically raise from the, gra- raise from the grave. Like he, Spiritually, we believe he did, and that's all that matters. Um, when, a, when a person starts to talk like that, that's a church that you leave because that's not really a Christian church if they're not believing those kinds of things. Um, and there's some things in here, non-essential objectivity, that are worth fighting over. Not everything, not like end times, not the age of the earth. That's not worth splitting over anything like that. But someone who says, yeah, no, I totally believe it's okay to live in this sin and I'm going to continue in this sin and I'm going to preach that other people can, that's not okay. That's one that's worth leaving a church over. Two, um, the second thing is this helps us discern what we emphasize when we speak to unbelievers. Sadly, the world has often known more about Christianity through its non-essential issues. We spend a lot of time sometimes yelling and fighting about things that might be sort of important but aren't the most important. Um, Yelling about things like creation versus evolution. Um, Yelling about things like the age of the earth. Yelling about... Uh, yelling about political things, things that might be even important, but they're not the most fundamental thing to us. And, and what we ought to be known as, uh, known by as a church, is first and foremost who Jesus is and what He's done for us, the gospel. 
That's what we want people to hear us talk about most. That's what we want people to hear us be excited about. When you're talking to your friends about faith, don't get hung up on non-essentials like trying to prove that evolution is dumb. Don't get hung up on non-essentials, even things that might be important like their morality and their behavior, okay? The main thing that we want them to know is Jesus, who He is. And we can let the non-essentials, once they come to know Jesus, once they come to believe the gospel, then they can let, let Him and His Word begin to work out some of these other truths in their lives. But we want to be the people who are bringing up those things to be sure they know those. And, and, and it's also true this, that when you emphasize everything, you emphasize nothing. A church that spends all its time yelling about um, political things and yelling about music style and yelling about um, drinking and yelling about uh, sex outside of marriage, when they yell about Jesus being the Son of God, it kind of loses the effect because we yell about everything. And so we want to be sure that we're always emphasizing in our talk. It's not that we never talk about these other things. And not, it's not that these things don't matter. We just want to emphasize uh, what matters the most. We want to emphasize it the most. And that's why these things matter. There's a lot to think through here. And, and you might be processing some of this. Come up and talk to us afterwards. I'd love to talk through other things that maybe Scott mentioned. Where would that fit? Where would tattoos fit? Where would, uh, where would you know, marijuana fit? All of those things. We could talk about some of that stuff. Um, but before we dismiss tonight, just want to let you know, obviously, things are a little bit weird uh, with, uh, with the campus and the nation and all that stuff. And, and we don't know what's happening over the next couple of weeks. Um, we had a Q&A night planned with a Protestant and a Catholic with Jim and Father O'Brien from the Catholic Church uh, the Thursday after spring break. We had that plan that was going to happen on campus, and, and we were going to have you all come there on Thursday night. Um, that's not happening now because all campus-related activities have got to be done. So we're trying to get that rescheduled, uh, but... But we're going to keep you in the loop. If you'll, if you'll stick with us on GroupMe and Facebook and Instagram, we'll let you know. More than likely, there will be something going on here next Thursday. Um, we don't know what. It depends on who's in town. It depends on what's all happening. But two Thursdays, yeah. Not next Thursday. Not over spring break. Don't come here. Um, two <laughs> Thursdays from now, there will be something going on here. Um, and we will let you know what that is. Just stick with us on those things, and, and, and we'll be kind of keeping you in the loop as we see what's happening as we discern those things. Anything else you would want to add to that, Scott? All right, thanks. We're done. You are dismissed to stay and hang out with us for a little while. <laughs>